Hello, Logic friends. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. These guys have been my reseller for over 15 years, and we could not do what we do without them. They're fantastic partners, no matter what size your business. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. The forum is open. If you haven't already signed up for forum.logic.tv, head on over there right now. We have almost 800 users, 65,000 page views a month. It really is becoming the place to go for all things flame and visual effects. That's forum.logic.tv. Logic.tv is now on Patreon. If you like what we're doing with the forum, Logic Live and Logic.tv, then please consider heading on over to patreon.com slash logic.tv and signing up as a patron. We have three tiers of sponsorship with some great swag, discounts, and other benefits for our patrons. So again, that's patreon.com slash logic.tv. Everyone knows that Boris FX makes the best plugins in the business. Mocha, Sapphire, Silhouette Paint, Continuum, and the new Optics. You can save 15% on all of Boris FX plugins, either standalone or subscription, by using the code LOGIC-15 at checkout. That's capital L, lowercase o-g-i-k, dash one five at checkout. Miriam Oladejo is an up-and-coming visual effects artist based in London. We chatted about what drew her to a career in post-production and some of the challenges that young artists face in our industry. Here's my chat with Miriam. Uh, my day was actually great. Uh, it's still going, but it's going great. My uh, my daughter, we're, my daughter and I tested negative today for COVID again, which is great. Again, awesome. Um, we're we the two of us are officially out of quarantine now, which is great. My wife's feeling better for the uh, I think it's the third day where she's seen some progress, which is great. I've been working on. Uh, uh, I have my flame set up over in this direction. That's why I keep looking over there. But I, uh, I, I've been working on a, a new spot today. Like I'm not leading the spot. I'm just working on some shots. That's been great. Just kind of like to just, you know, focus, get, you know, get some shots and just kind of run with it. Yeah. Keep you busy. That's awesome. How about you? How was your day? It was good. I did actual work today, which was amazing. Oh, really? Oh yeah. I have copied some files to the right locations. <laughs> oh wow uh, sorry I was going to say it's a bit fiddly to get used to the remote workflows and where everything is um, but I think I'm getting hang of it so it's great that's good yeah every place has its own methods and its own idiosyncrasies and you know and especially if you go to work at a larger company they've got probably far more of that stuff than like a small shop you know but like I was remembering in like in thinking about our chat today, I was remembering my first day at my first like staff flame artist job. It was this mm-hmm. place called the Tape House, which is of blessed memory at this point. I had been I had been uh, a, a freelancer, like a junior flame artist, like a freelancer, and I got a, a job there as like a daytime staff flame artist. It was amazing. It was like I was super excited. They worked on the coolest shit. It was just amazing and uh I, I think it was my first day there if not the first day because this is this is many many years ago it was then it was in, within the first week <clears throat> and i went to install a font okay and this is back in the stone ages right so uh you couldn't just like drag a font in it was like a command line you had to type and the way that fonts worked on Flame, which was so stupid back then, is the fonts lived in some folder somewhere. And then you type this command, and it installed all the fonts from that folder into like the Flame fonts folder. Right. So every time you installed one new font, you actually installed all 300 or whatever it was, you know, like. Oh, yeah. no. So, uh, but like, whatever. I mean, I was young, computers were exciting, who really cared? I had no idea that this place was set up in such a way that all the fonts were kept like on a server. Servers were an interesting new concept, right? So, you know, young, excited little Andy like gets in there and goes and, you know, types in his command to install his font and it runs the thing and it deletes all the fonts from the flame and then it goes to reinstall them plus my new one. But what it really did is it deleted all the fonts in the company. And they were gone. <laughs> so like no. there were no, it was like 1500 fonts and they were gone. 
That is you know, all of a sudden, like the phone's ringing and like the other flame, no one has fonts, like nothing's working. And so, and engineering, like never did a backup of them, you know? And so uh, this was my first week, right? My first, when I was, I was going to do something really cool. I was going to show everybody how smart I was. And uh, I came in, we did, you know, there was like an emergency to get everybody like the two fonts they needed for their, like, their specific job. Right. And then I came in that weekend and installed them one at a time. It was over 1500 of them. I had to like write, like type the same command, you know, 1500 times. Yeah. You know, new place, <laughs> new face <laughs> new ways to make yourself, you know, to make like a name for yourself, like to really make a good first impression. So I, that is an amazing start. I'm just really happy I survived 24 hours without anybody screaming at me like, that's not what we call this and that's not where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of curious to, to hear uh, what your, actually, you know what I should ask you first is your your last name. Is it Oladejo? How do you it's Oladejo. It? Oladejo. Okay. But it's no problem. People assume I'm Portuguese all the time. Gotcha. We'd love to be there. Well, I never right. assume I never assume anything. But uh <laughs> that way I'm always wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. They have amazing food. Like that's that's a compliment. <laughs> I like the way you think. I got to go to Lisbon uh, two years ago for a shoot, like to cover a shoot, and it was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever been. I agree. Do you know what we went to Lisbon in January twenty twenty? Oh <laughs> just in time. I know that was the last massive group trip with my friends from uni if you're thing went crazy and it's just an amazing place so beautiful mm -hmm. so friendly beautiful friendly i just had the best time i love like that's one of the best i guess benefits of like being a flame artist for me has been the opportunities i've had to go and travel to go supervise shoots i've been like literally all over the world places i never would have uh, I shouldn't say I never would have gone, but I certainly couldn't have afforded to go at the time yeah. in my life when I went. <laughs> and then like- You can totally see that. It must be really exciting. Well, yeah. Like the, the one of the greatest things about it is like when you're a VFX supervisor, at least in the commercial world or the TVC world, you're like, you straddle the two universes. Like you you stay at the same hotel as the agency and the client and you can kind of sit with them on on set. Uh, yeah. but you're really crew, you're really crew. So you get the, you know, you get, you do kind of get to live in both worlds in the sense that when you're crew, you're kind of family, you know? Um, but then again, the agency always goes to like the best restaurants and they always, you know, and they're there with, they're usually there with their clients. So they're there with the pharma company people, you know, and they're dying for somebody who tells a good story or just like, you know, enjoys life <laughs> or can think beyond like the, the brief for the commercial you're working on. So uh, it, it's always a great experience. You get to see amazing parts of the city and and uh, of, of the different places you go to and everything. So something I'm very thankful for. I never were talking about this. We're so lucky to be in Europe. because It's like everything's so cheap to travel to. You literally just need a backpack two hours away and you're there. Yeah, it's wild. So wait, so you, you were born in Hungary, right? I so was born in Hungary, yes. Yeah, I grew up in a tiny, tiny place up in the mountains. And it's all vineyards and orchards around. It's really, really pretty. It's just not really much going on there. <laughs> it's a place I would love to retire to. Okay. Well, there's, there's a plan, right? Hmm. So what then, let me, so what was it, uh, so you grew up in this small little town. Uh, what was it that drew you to university in, in uh, the UK? Um, it was more practical. So I think I studied back in Hungary was very academic. And, you know, I loved it. I did well. That was not a problem. But I just didn't want to do something boring. Like everybody was pushing me to be a lawyer or just do a regular job. And I just didn't want to do it. And the UK has loads of opportunity in the film industry and advertising as well. Um, so I just wanted to do something that's more hands-on, just try out all the cameras and all the equipment and work with actual people who have experience in the industry. And that's how we learned. And I think that, that was amazing. Was there something, like when you were younger, was there something about like the movies or about TV or something where you said, oh, I want to do that? Did you like happen to see a, a like a, a, 
a film set or or something probably like that? Was. that... Probably was. So my mom's an artist. <laughs> she always made us watch like the behind the scenes films because she was worried that, you know, if you watch the scary bits, you'd be too scared. But if you see that it's a costume, like you won't be terrified, which makes sense. So I kind makes of sense. grew up with that. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's always interesting. You just never really think that you're actually going to do it. I had, um, this is like, if you ever met my mother, and I really, she's, she's a lovely woman, but um, it's terrifying. But uh, these were like, we have an expression here in the States of like helicopter moms, like they hover, you know, over <laughs> you, like your whole life. She was very protective, uh, but she knew that I, I was like, fascinated by like the same thing the behind the scenes like the making of for like for whatever whatever movie happened to be you know popular at the time so uh, a friend of the family had it was actually our babysitter when my sister and I were growing up her older sister was like a producer worked for a film company in in New York so I was in my um what grade would it have been I guess my 11th year at, you know, in, 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 uh, in high school, you know, uh, uh, so I was like 16. Somehow my mother was talking with like the, the babysitter's family and they said, you know, well, my, my, one of the sisters is working in New York. You didn't, my mother comes home and says, I was just talking to so-and-so she's working on a movie in, in, uh, in New York. Would you, you know, spring break is coming up and she's invited you to go up to New York and, and you can stay in her apartment, you know, and you can work on this movie. What do you think? And it was like, I couldn't believe my mother. I, I was like, who are you and what have you done with, with my mother, right? I got on a train in Philadelphia and I went up to New York and hailed a cab and found the production office. And for a week, I was a PA, like working with the different departments, prop department, art department, camera department. Best thing that ever could have happened to me, like totally changed the course of my life. It does not sound like a terrible mother. <laughs> well, that was a good week. I will say that. That was a <laughs> no. She's a sweetheart, and I know that because she's listening right now, because I hear her voice in my head all the time. <laughs> so you uh, you went to university in the UK to for film and TV. Pretty much, I was television and broadcasting, but um, there was a pretty similar film course, and we often worked together. It was a really good way to sort of work in a group and figure out what you like doing. And also just they really focus on a lot of soft skills, which I think is super important. To, what do you mean by that? You know, just talking to people like they're people. <laughs> um, I mean, we had like huge groups and you had to handle like a bunch of cameras, a bunch of cabling. And not just make sure that you do your job, but also make sure that you're not making somebody else's job more difficult while you're doing it. And I think because it was all so practical, we all just got used to it over the three years, how the thing works and how the other people operate. And that that's what became really important in the real world, I think. Amen. Did uh so did you like did you have to produce any student films? Like did you direct anything or, or write anything or were you just on a crew or you know, other people's crews? Um, I did a bunch of stuff. Um, produced a radio show. That was really, really? cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was music themed and we were talking about um, how vinyl was coming back and it was cool again at that time. I don't think it's cool anymore. Is it out now? <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's back to Spotify. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was really fun. And we managed to kind of pitch it to the local radio. So it was like our biggest show at the university. And we had 10,000 live listeners, which was epic at the time. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And that was a good group. It was really, really that's fun. Amazing. When I was at university, I went for film and TV production. And I, uh, I always had um, like... I wanted to uh, like to direct, everybody wanted to be, you know, a, a director, of course, because why else would you go to film school? But I gravitated towards the post-production stuff. I always had like a, a desire or a real fascination with 
the the visual effects, with the technical, with problem solving, with finding some solution. And I kept, I would work on everybody's crew, but I kept getting or gravitating towards the post-production um, tasks. You know, if it was audio, I was the first, like we had radio classes or sound class. It wasn't really radio, but like a sound production class. I was the first one to use like anything even remotely digital, you know, to edit something. Or I, I got stuck in like the television studio classes. I was always on the switcher or like the, the, the character generator, like to do titles and things like that. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved that whole, I think like you said, that social experience, like the collaborative experience, you're thrown in with this group of people and you all have to get in, you all have to start speaking the same language and get into the same like headspace and really understand each other. Like listen, not just talk, but listen and figure out how to solve whatever the problem is at the moment. It was just, it was, everybody always says, you know, like uni was the greatest time of my life, but it was just, it was, for me, it was the first sample of that experience, that collaborative creative experience that I've loved about every aspect of what I do. I totally agree. And think about these people, they just never go away. It's been eight years, they still keep texting me. <laughs> um, yeah, so how did you end up in Flame Dance? So you said you were a PA and you were just so sort of interested. Did you start freelancing straight off when you were young? Now I went, well, I always, I was always that kid who, uh, it, it's funny, like I was always very shy and introverted, but if there was something that I was really interested in, I would be the first one to like raise my hand and ask a question, mm -hmm. you know, like if it was a group of people, I'd be the last one to, to like introduce myself. But if someone was demonstrating something and I wanted to know more, I would, I would raise my hand. So. We, I was taking a film editing class, like literally like splicing film together on a, you know, a flat top kind of thing with, with tape and razor blades. Mm -hmm. And we got a demo. We went, on a, we went on a field trip, really, to this, some company in midtown Manhattan that had like the first Avid, like the first, you know, nonlinear editing system. And I was the only one asking questions. Because I was like a computer geek. So I, I, I had questions like how big are the hard drives and how big are the files and how much stuff can you store? And like, maybe it's because I was, I, I was the only one who, I'm going to say that this was 1995. And so <laughs> like, you know, maybe at that time it was still kind of a niche thing, you know? But I remembered the name of the guy who, who like was the Avid editor. And when I was trying to find an internship, he was the first one that I called. And I ended up getting an internship, not with him there. Like I was a stalker, like he left that place, went somewhere else. And um, I took a job as an assistant engineer. Like that was the only position available. It was an assistant engineer because I, I, knew, I knew how to open up like a, a computer and replace the hard drive, right? So I was getting a tour of this company from the, uh, from the chief engineer. And uh, it was a long hallway and all the rooms had little placards, you know, like edit one, edit two, very creative names, edit one, edit two, things like that. And there was a one a room that said flame on it. And so I asked like, what the hell is that? You know? So he takes me into the room and he showed me the only thing he knew how to do with the flame, which was like press play, you know? And he told me like, what you're watching here is uncompressed video. And I was like, that's, that's not possible, you know? So then he takes me into like the, the, uh, the machine room there and the computer at the time was like the size of a refrigerator. And I was just like, I don't care what this job pays or what you want me to do, I have to learn. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And all I ever saw it do was play. <laughs> like, I need to learn that. And so that's, that's what I did. I took, you know, I took a job. I was, as an engineer, I was pulling wires through the wall and you know, helping redirect air conditioning ducts or whatever like they needed. And then I would bug the flame artist to, you know, show me stuff and I would practice at night, like that kind of thing. That's awesome. You're just as crazy as I am. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? How did you first hear about flame? I think that was my first day at Envy. So I went there for a work experience and, you know, I was running out there just making coffee and just chatting to clients and all that. And they just showed me the flame room. 
was like, what's this spider web on the screen? What does that do? And then there's someone happened to have five minutes, which like never happens over there. They're always busy. But um, this guy had some free time, so he showed me like, oh, look, I can do this and that. I thought that was like so cool. And uh, I just wanted to do that afterwards. Like even um, because this was in my second year, so even like the last year of uni, I was just concentrating on like all the finishing parts and effects and anything technical. Yeah, I had um, like my thing. I came from like a technical background. I, I had I had no idea that I had any creative, like a creative cell in my body. You know, so when when uh, we were gonna end up in Renderdome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, in case that wasn't clear, uh, as vodka in the Renderdome, I um, I was first learning uh, flame from this 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 flame artist who ended up being like a groomsman in my wedding. Like that's how like close we became as, as friends. But it for me it was purely the technical stuff. So like I remember the first thing I ever did, like like as a real job on flame. They were working on a movie at this company. It was like it was a it was a Woody Allen movie, which I'm hesitating to say because he's not he's not as popular anymore. Maybe I'll edit that out. Hold on, let me start that over. I was working on a movie. <laughs> now I remember the first the first thing I did in in Flame was for a movie, and it was wire removal. And the uh, this this Flame artist who was the lead, they needed somebody. They were behind schedule, and they needed someone to work midnight to eight in the morning, like that shift. And they were. They didn't want to spend any money on it, so they asked me if I was interested. And I was like, "Yeah, are you kidding? I'm 22. Of course I want. Of course I want to work midnight to eight in the morning." So the the flame artist there showed me like he wrote it out for me specific steps on what to do, like stabilizing and making it. There were there were no G masks back then, but like you know making a a, a mat or whatever. I took this piece of paper he gave me, and if he said to like put like a one in, I tried one and a two and a three and a four, and then I tried negative one, like just to try to see the range of what was possible. And that was my approach to learning anything technical, visual effects was like show me, show me one thing, and then I'll try to push the boundaries and see if I can get like a if I can wrap my head around the capability. But I, I remember like. Seeing it's funny you said like you walked into the flame room. I remember walking in and going like just looking around looking around at the space and saying, Who who runs a room like this? You know? <laughs> there's like a beautiful, it's gorgeous, you know, and then there's this it's like who does this? You know, how do you run this room? And that to me was like the I don't know, the thing that I really wanted to figure out if I could do. Is you know I'm sure I could figure out what the buttons do, but can I can I run this room? <laughs> yeah, that spoke to my like. As much as I say like I was introverted, I was also in high school. I was like in the drama club. I was in the musicals and things like that. So I, I, I really love that aspect of being like a flame artist. Is is dealing interacting with the client and being thrown into a situation and having to solve a problem, and they're looking at you while you're doing this. So it's like taking it goes back to what you you know we were saying a minute ago about working or being at uni, you know, like you have to read the room, you have to listen to everybody, you have to find out what the problem is, you have to figure out what everyone's concerns are. They'll come in and they'll be screaming and yelling, their jobs are on the line, their 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 spouses are going to walk out, their kids hate them. You know, what whatever it is, you know, they're bringing that stress too. You have to be able to draw out like the fact that they can't read the logo on the background. Okay, well then that's then you do that for them, and they're you know they'll they love you forever. So I've always loved that part of it. It's basically like being a nurse, isn't it? Just that reassuring um, voice. <laughs> it's triage, and then yeah, and then bedside manner, right? Yes, everything's going to be fine. You know, man, have you had? Uh, any opportunity to 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 work with clients in the room, or even if not as the the lead, as the as the supporting artist, to like, have you been? I know it's. The, I, I'm asking really because of the lockdown, like the, the you know past year, we've just been at home. But have you been exposed to yeah, a lot of that? I mean, lockdown came kind of in a bad time for me because I finally got to the point 
that felt a bit more confident, you know. And, you know, I wasn't scared of the interface anymore and I could do a bunch of things. So I was hoping that I could do more client work. Uh, I spent a little bit of time in supporting role. I didn't really do much leading. I had perhaps one project that kind of let me drive, but then I still had a senior person just hovering over my shoulder, like, are you okay there? Just in case. <laughs> so yeah, it's something that I would like to do more of. And I also think it's a huge difference between trailers and commercials. First of all, because in trailers, we didn't have the fancy room at all. We were all in just a dark room, no windows. <laughs> Even the walls were painted black because there's a bunch of grading that needs to be done as well. So it's a completely um, different environment. Um, so I'm hoping to learn more about the client-facing side of it soon. Gotcha. Were there any trailers uh, of note, like anything that, that uh, we might have seen that you might you want to share? I hope so. Um, so Jojo Rabbit was my favorite. Uh, that was really fun to work on. Really? Yeah. Oh, that was excellent. Thanks. I didn't make the trailer, but I did a bunch of stuff for the TV campaign and social media. <laughs> so that was the one I did like, the most work on. And I'm really happy I, I got to do that. We did a little bit of stuff for Onward. They had 1917 coming out. So it's like really busy Christmas. Mm-hmm. Just before the thing. <laughs> yeah and then the thing right and then the thing. oh goodness so uh, yeah and i can say these things now because it's been a year so i can talk about it <laughs> <laughs> right the secret's out now right um let me ask you this like i'm gonna ask you some questions that are really in no particular order okay um uh best day on the job so far so far on the new job or just job in general? In general. Since you started to get paid for doing visual effects work or finishing. Okay, I would need to get back to this one. Okay, worst day. <laughs> worst day on the job. <laughs> <laughs> worst day on the job is having a lot of delays on London tubes, getting in the late, being really stressed about it and figuring out that Nobody's going to do any work today because we're all just going to go for ice cream. So it's like, why did I stress in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> Which is eventually, it's not a terrible day because we all had ice cream. Yeah, bingo, right? Man, I've had several. Uh, I've had several bad days, but you do. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you just, it's all about honestly picking yourself back up. I've had bad days. We've missed deadlines. We've, I remember making, you know, giving, giving estimates for how long it was going to take to do something. And it ends up taking 10 times longer. And you wonder, am I ever going to be trusted again? Did I make the wrong decision? Should I go back and live with my parents? It's a death spiral. You never want to fall into that death spiral of just like, you know, otherwise all er, everything will go wrong. Yeah. I had that crisis the other day. Really? It lasted like an entire 10 minutes. It was very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> do tell <laughs> it's because i've recently been applying for a bunch of jobs and you know trying to like do something different or like do something new because i've been bored sitting at home even though like i did a bunch of freelance but never mind so someone just messaged me like sorry we couldn't accept you for this job we think you'd be bored being an engineer it's like what <laughs> <laughs> I think play people do loads of technical stuff. It's like, it won't be boring at all. And I was just like, full and break down. Like, like, this is not going to lead anywhere. I'm not going to achieve anything in my life. I haven't had a client call in like a week, which is, if you're freelancing, it's not a long time. But when you're new, it's very dramatic. And I was just like, this is not going to happen. And then I got a call like, oh, do you want to join us over here? <laughs> It's like a full on 10 minutes of breakdown, crying, hit rock bottom and go right back up. That's a full 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh my God. An emotional roller coaster. The the whole concept of like the 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 apprenticeship program, like starting as a runner and working your way up, is that something that's universal over in, in the UK at, at post shops? 
Absolutely, and it shocks people from all over the world. I spoke to a bunch of Aussies and they were like, why do you guys do that? Like, you already have a degree. Why do you make coffee? Like, can't you just jump on the software and do stuff? And it's like, no, you absolutely can't. Like, you have to go through this. So it's actually really, really hard because you spend all these years learning and then you go back to like, a huge step back. <laughs> but essentially, it all works out because you're always going to see the same faces in the industry. So it's like condensed enough. So I'm actually looking back now, I'm really grateful for those times because that's the most time of your life that you can actually just walk into other people's rooms and have a chat with everybody, like including the artist and the clients and the producers. And that's how you get to know everyone. Because once you pick your role, you'll be in that room for years. <laughs> And you, you won't get to see them again, <laughs> unless you all go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> or go out for ice cream. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, we don't, I mean, the only places that really have that, at least in New York, are the, like, the, the UK-based shops that, uh, that have offices here. It's so, it's got to be so hard for, uh, for younger people just who want to get into the business I mean, here, to get that foot in the door. It's really yeah. difficult. So you work difficult shifts, like the late shift, the early shifts, and you can you have to just do anything they ask, basically. You, I need you to take this tape to the other side of London right now, and you just go, even if it's raining. <laughs> so it's kind of hard, and um, it's low pay. So it's difficult to sort of, save money for your own kit or or live at a fancy place or anything like that it depends how lucky you are as well it's not always the hardest working people who move up it depends when a position will become available and whether they have the budget to open a new place or anybody else is moving around so i've been really lucky to get to flame as fast as i did because it takes way longer usually yeah, it's it's when we talk about it a lot, at least in the New York market, that like it, it seems you know the the uh, the the like the constant downward pressure of budget and time to do the job mm. means that there's no that there are fewer learning opportunities. Like it's harder for me to give a task to someone like to a junior artist to try it, knowing that if they can't uh, get it across the finish line, I can help out if. I've been given three hours to do this and it's really a six hour job. And if we don't have it done by six o'clock, then the, you know, we're all going to die. Like the usual kind of you know, environment that, <laughs> that this is devolved into. So I think it's really, I mean, maybe yeah. it's, I, I imagine it's also all a matter of perspective, but I feel like it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a wonderful thing that the, the shops in the UK have that kind of pathway, that program that built in so that at least there is, an opportunity for someone who's who wants to get into the business to to see the different aspects of the uh, the business and also learn. Really, that's that's the hardest thing I think. Yeah, I mean, it's usually the time constraints. Like all the artists that came for us are super helpful, and they they want the young people to move forward. Um, a lot of times they don't have the time to sit down with me. It's just one of those things like you did as well you stayed in at night and just practiced and that's what many runners do just stay behind like just have a crack at it see what happens but you're right it's all about opportunity well like you, you, it's luck i should say it's like you have to be prepared for when those opportunities come up i was working at a place where they were they were behind schedule and over budget and they needed somebody to work eight midnight to eight in the morning for free, essentially, you know, for, for no additional, they didn't pay me overtime or anything. I was just amazed that I could order a meal, you know, like this is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. You're paying for my dinner. Maybe that's a thing. So that's yeah, it's like, um, you're, you know, you're right. It seems like maybe, maybe it, it can seem like in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, as a runner, if you're, if you're being asked to do what seemed like mundane tasks, I take this tape, run it across town or get coffee. What you're really doing is is proving yourself to everybody, you know? 
I've always told young younger artists who want to trans like want to transition from an a, 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 like an apprentice to to a, a, like a, an artist position or something that the company wants nothing more than to make money off of you. They want that as a runner or or an apprentice or to say you're you're a liability like you're a cost of doing business. I need to pay people to be runners, but if they can make money off of you, they will. And once you can prove that you're reliable and competent and and trustworthy and creative and a nice person and all these other things, then when that when the position opens up, it's like the sky's the limit for you. You just have to be ready for it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's true. Like, it's all it's all about just showing them they can trust you. Like, if they give you a task, you just do it. Or if it's stay like, here's a client, can you chat to them for five minutes? You can do it. It's all of those things. And I think just adds up, I guess. Totally. So like, uh, let's- Always gonna say people you meet, like doesn't matter. Like I worked with a bunch of producers when I was a runner and they just remember your face. Like you come back as something else, but they, it's still gonna be you. Mm-hmm. And they never forget. <laughs> so it's be polite, right? No, so don't say anyone here. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. Yes. <laughs> so, like, what's your dream? What's the dream? What's your dream job? Where Where would you like to? Where would you like to be? One year from now, five years from now. Well, first of all, I'd like to be Get out flight. of the house. <laughs> that would be amazing. Back to Lisbon. Um. Yeah, first of all, I'd like to just be on flame for a bit and just do more commercial stuff. And then let's see how it goes. Kind of looking into like VFX supervisor stuff as well, because it's quite interesting. And I have a little bit of production background, which I think might be useful. But that's like, you know, long term plan. That's like the 20 year plan. It's interesting. God, I hope not. I hope not. But I heard this. And I find this interesting that apparently people over, overestimate what they can achieve in a year, but underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. And it's like wow. so weird. We're really bad at time. Wow, that's 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> Reflecting back on it, yeah. No, I could totally see that. I think it's just a matter of, it's like, it's what it, it's, it, it probably just ties into that. You can't appreciate the amount of time you're talking about until you've, until it's passed. Like I, I still, like, I can't believe uh, that I have been doing this job for 26 years. I can't believe it. It's like unfathomable. And uh, I know I don't, I don't look like a day over 30, but um, especially on this podcast, which is audio only. Uh, I think if you had asked me, like there are times where I can't believe it's been that long. There are times where it seems like it was, it was yesterday. There are times where I go, like, I, I feel like, uh, have I, am I like, am I where I, I, I wanted to be, but I wish I had something to drink. I'm really getting reflective here. <laughs> That's awesome. But that reminds me of something completely different. So the best insult anyone ever paid to my best friend was, oh, wow, you have a face for radio. And they were just like, so well delivered. (laughs) (laughs) We just like laughing. It was so well delivered that that the person actually went, thank you. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just no one can see your age in the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I still think they can. Um, so tell me a, a little bit about uh, like your the job you got at Envy, like the first the first position there. You know, were you nervous? How did you approach the the interview? You know, how did you approach the applying for the job? Oh, so Envy, like many of the big companies. It's so huge that they need runners all the time. And because runners move up all the time, they will make new ones. So what they do in the, the kind of approach to universities and recruit there. And that's how I got in there. And I don't remember much of the interview, to be honest. I think we had like a little test to do. It was like a, like, it looked like a school paper. And it was just like pictures of 
different suites and because they only interview people who already done a work experience week for them. So you would have met a bunch of people who would have seen uh, some of their facilities at this point. And that you have to make a difference between which suite is this? So you need to know like, this is a flame. This is an avid. This is, I know, grading. And that was the test. <laughs> Pretty much that's all I remember from it. <laughs> I was there for almost like two years. Um, and so I eventually moved up to assistant in that time. Do you remember the, like your first day as not a runner, like as an assistant? Yes, it was huge. Tell me about it. It, it was because it was, I was in that room all the time anyway. <laughs> so I would have been with the assistants like in the morning or I would stay late. A lot of times I was just like sitting there doing roto and everyone was in the same room. So you had the avid guys on one side and you have audio and VFX and grade, but essentially I think just like a big open space. So the audio guys are always making fun of me because I was playing dot to dot. I spent hours and hours just rotoing. <laughs> like, that's so dumb. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> so when it was my first day, it was actually just like really strange that I had to stay there because I would normally just run off and do my shift. And I kind of like almost like got up from the chair, like, I need to go. And then I realized like, oh, no, I don't need to go thing right here and that's so weird <laughs> did you ever find uh or did you ever have to deal with anyone who almost like didn't acknowledge that you had moved up still treated you like a runner even though you were now an assistant or anything like that not really no good it didn't have the experience i hope no one did but you know at that point like you know i was already there for like a couple of years and everyone kind of knew me and everybody knew each other. So it wasn't like, it wasn't a shock that I moved up and everybody was ready for it. So I think it was acknowledged straight away. So you said you were at Envy for a couple of years and then where did you go from there? I went to Empire, um, which was all traders. And that's when I spent more time with play. Um, just all day, every day. And man, I did little boring things to begin with. Like, I can't even tell you the mountain of archiving. <laughs> Just scanning out your tapes to start with. I was so happy to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. God, we used to have, I mean, our, all our archiving is automated now, but we used to have, that was one of the like apprentice positions we had at Lively was there was a, you know, someone who worked the night shift who would come in and do the archiving. I remember he broke something in my office. Like I came in in the morning and like, I got, someone got me, this is so cliche, but someone got me like a coffee mug when I turned 40 that said like 40 and fabulous or something, you know, something stupid like that. And he broke it, you know, like I, he, the, the guy did have a habit of like sitting in the chair at the console and like putting his feet up on the console, which kind of annoyed me because I mean, I eat at this console, man, you know, what's going on. I came in the next morning and, um, there was a, a the cup there was on my desk. It was broken. And he had gone out to like a 24-hour New York souvenir store and bought this giant like pencil eraser, right? That said, for big mistakes. I don't know how he got this. So like, I guess he knew it was there. And I found this note, like there was the broken mug. There was the giant eraser for big mistakes and a note from him apologizing. You know, this was the biggest mistake he ever made in his life. And then I saw him that night and I was like, dude, if this is the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life, like here's a hundred dollars, like go do something, like go do something you're really going to regret. You know what I mean? Like, it's totally cool. I appreciate it. But it's like an angry teenage girl getting ready for a breakout. Like why? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, I mean, uh, so, okay. So you got there, you started doing, like you said, boring work, but you know what you learned from, there's nothing more important than that archiving because if it's God forbid definitely. something happens. It saved my I, life. Honestly, if it didn't really? have that, it would have been awful. And we still worked with a bunch of tapes, which was interesting for me. Uh, what kind of tape was it? Is it LTO tape? Or do you mean like backing up to like D5 or something like that or digital videotape? 
like no like attributed tapes like we had LTO as well but a bunch of stuff still comes in on tape and gets archived to tape as well as digital which is yeah I know and and we still did that as well when I was there like we still worked with a lot of tape that's wild I haven't done I that in so long oh my god and I'm just like how did I pick possibly the only two places in London who still do that <laughs> I still have one. That's awesome. I kept it from, you know, this is from that place, the tape house from 20 years ago. This is like my, it's like a proper museum. Yeah. Wow. Got my, got my name on it there, you know, from 1999. Oh, that's, that's huge. <laughs> that's, that's, a, this is, this is older than both of my children. That's like, oh my God. but it gave you, I mean, you know, it's funny, like the, I worked, um, that first flame artist that I learned from at that, that first job, I mean, the guy who, with the, with the wire removal job, he, um, one thing that he always, that he taught me that always stuck with me was that every good artist knows how to stretch their own canvas and mix their own paint. And that's why he insisted that like, I do my own archiving or, you know, I do my own okay. roto or I do like, you need to really understand everything. You can't just sit down and, I mean, you can just sit down and make pretty pictures, but if you understand uh, everything that's going on under the hood and behind the scenes and, and whatever, it just rounds you out. It makes you, you know, a better, it makes you a better, especially with what we do. And I think it goes back to that whole collaborative thing with like the other people at, at uni, like at the post facility, even like I'm sure you saw it at, at, uh, at Envy or at Empire. You know, you may not know audio or you may not know editing, but you have to know enough about what these people do that you can interact with them and, and exchange either with either data or the creative process with them. Spending all that time archiving makes you a better, makes you a better artist. Trust me. I'm sure that makes sense in some way. <laughs> but no, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Let's set a calendar and you can, in 20 years, you can call me and tell me, my God, you were right. You were right. <laughs> um yeah, I mean it, it was definitely useful. Hundred <laughs> percent. You're a terrible yeah. liar. Ask me again. I can see Ask you remember. <laughs> I'm still traumatized. <laughs> oh my god. So you uh so, <laughs> so you're at Empire, you're working on trailers, you started out doing uh I don't speak very good French, but I believe it's a shit ton of archiving. And uh and then where did you go from there at Empire? Um, you finished I mean, your archiving. Where did you go? <laughs> what did you, what did you work on next? Same, it's the same room. So I didn't go anywhere. But because once it did everybody's archiving, that freed up a bunch of their time. So they had time to show me calm. And that's when things get exciting. What's your favorite thing to do? That is my favorite thing to do. You asked me this question before and I just didn't know how to answer it. And you know what? The next morning I woke up and the first thing I did was sat down right here, started comping and it was just like, yeah, I think that's the answer. That's why I like doing the most. Like even just coffee. <laughs> that's <huge>. Wow. <laughs> you do love your job. Uh, is there some aspect of, of the comping that you really like? Is it is it just the act of putting everything together? It's failing out. That's the weird thing about it. I like doing the stuff that I don't know how to do. <laughs> this is gonna sound awful. But if it just if I just find something that I don't know how to fix it and I sit there until it's done, that's what I like doing the most. And just like try a bunch of ways of doing it and try and look at it a different way, come back to it and look at it again, and then eventually it will work. That's what I like doing. I mean, I, you probably can't always do that with a client sitting behind you and checking the clock. But that's what I enjoyed in my free time to just, just figure out a bunch of stuff. That's great. That's great. I, mean, I agree with you 100%. You know, even to this day, I'm handed something and I don't know exactly. I have an idea how I'm going to do it. But part of the fun is just kind of figuring it out. And uh, I love nothing more than trying new stuff. Like 
that's been for me the one of the greatest parts of doing all these like logic live sessions is you know watching someone do a shop breakdown and learning how they did something and then remembering it and then you know getting to try that on the next job that i work on or something like that i love it love it love mm. it love it nothing is great and i'm realizing that people they just do that for the rest of their life now there's always going to be learning you know always going to be new stuff i was just chatting to someone this morning actually from the forum I mean, like talking about like, what are, what are you doing? Like, oh, I didn't have much work this week. So I'm trying to figure out how to darken someone's ear. So like, what? Like, just like some <laughs> weird edge integration, like tiniest detail I was playing with. And he was like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I am um, trying to get on my head around like working with multi-passes and CJ integration. Like, oh, okay, cool. And just like, do you get it? No, I don't get it. But I'm going to. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. We're almost at our hour, believe it or not. Is there anything useful in there? Of course. What are you talking about? I told some great stories. <laughs> what are you talking about? I poured my heart out. What do you mean? Great stories. <laughs> <laughs> of course. No, this is great. Um, now that you've you've moved up, you know, what 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 advice would you give to somebody who wants to get into the business? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> we've been be speaking done. with miriam oladejo yes <laughs> flame artist uh, uh visual effects artist and life coach <laughs> <laughs> no i think seriously just appreciate the people around you because they come back all day best parts and the worst parts but it's always going to be the same people that's my message it's not but it's not a competition it never is it's a team and i know it sucks hearing it but it's kind of true i think that was perfect yeah <laughs> yeah i i don't think i mean that that ending you put on there was perfect or that bit of advice well thanks miriam Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. It's been great getting to know you too, even, you know, on the forum and, and uh, through the, through the live episodes. Thanks for tuning in every weekend. Love it. It's great. You guys do a great job. I'm trying to recruit more people for you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. Stay safe. You got Hope it. you get released soon. Oh, <laughs> me too. I'm ready. <laughs> ready for, I'll see you soon. Ready for you <laughs> Are you kidding? No, they're not. They don't know what they've missed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Miriam. Take care. Thank you again. Yes, bye. Everyone knows that Boris FX makes the best plugins in the business. Mocha, Sapphire, Silhouette Paint, Continuum, and the new Optics. You can save 15% on all of Boris FX plugins, either standalone or subscription, by using the code LOGIC-15 at checkout. That's capital L, lowercase o-g-i-k, dash one five at checkout. This episode of The Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. See you next time.